0: Scripture for the message this morning is in Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 Years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You may be seated. you as a 15 shekel man. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the readings today, Gene. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thankful that we can be together as his church and that uh, you care enough to come and assemble together with the people of God on this Sunday. It's a blessing. We're grateful you being here it was great to see our brother jim up on the gym bays thank god for healing grace and recovery from that surgery so or i mean it's good to see you up there but and for what it's worth i like the beard so just Working our way through this uh, letter that was written to the congregation of followers of Jesus, the particular, particularness of this particular, that, 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 sorry, scratch that. The reason that uh, this is significant is those being addressed as followers of Jesus are ethnic Jews. These ethnic Jews are not any better than the Gentiles that have placed faith in Jesus Christ. That is not the point. But these are Jews who have come to faith in Christ, and as a result of their faith in Christ, they are experiencing substantive challenges and hardships. Their community has turned against them with full vengeance. It's, it's a difficult day for them. They're thinking... Is it worth it? Is it really all worth it? And I think if we're honest as Christians, most of us even Gentiles, we would find ourselves asking ourselves similar questions. (laughs) Is it really worth it? I mean, it can be so challenging to be devoted to Christ and be devoted to his will and to his ways. And some of you very pious people may be sitting out there going, well, how in the world could you say such a thing? I, I'm just being honest. Sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes uh, walking in truth is not an easy thing to do, when it separates you from friends and family, and and creates all manner of uh, difficulty in life. It's not always the easiest thing. So, uh, just with honesty, just expressing that reality. So as we come and we worship our God and we're so granted this privilege through the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary so that the likes of sinners like us could be ushered into the very presence of Almighty God and acknowledge him as our Father, live with him, acknowledging him each and every day. We're blessed and benefited. We're given spiritual power and grace to walk in truth and to understand different things our god is an amazing god and i think each and every one of us that know jesus christ as our lord and savior and are acquainted with god through that work i think we can all say knowing god is much more than an academic exercise It is more than an academic exercise. But it is not less than an academic exercise. There are certain things that we need to know about God. There are certain things that we really need to conceive of Him. And sometimes I think we can get so wrapped up in just the spiritual connection that we lose the significance of substantive truth. Who is God? And what is He like? And what is this all about? Why is knowing God important? I think it's important for every one of us because it's very, very important that we know the character of God. We, we know what to expect of him. We know what he, who he is and how he manifests himself as he's revealed himself to us in Scripture. The magnitude and the fullness of his being we really cannot comprehend. But there are things that we've been given that through the Word of God, that help us to understand who He is, what His character is like, and how we're to honor and reverence Him. The ways in which our heart are to be captivated by these truths as we worship Him in song, as we bow in prayer before Him, as we speak to one another in fellowship and encouragement, there are things about God that we need to know. We should not be speaking to one another in ways that are outside of what God would have us to say in about Him and what He's like. We need to read the pages of Scripture because we need to know that God is a faithful God and that He provides for us. Our God is faithful to provide for us in all manners, all manner of ways. He is able to take care of us. Because there are times when we're going to face situations and circumstances and it's going to feel like, man, God, where is your provision? Where are you in this? But we can never question the reality that God is there for us as our God and we as his people and he has promised to provide everything we need. We need to hold on to that. Even when it seems like that doesn't... It's not true. We should be reading the word understanding God because we want to know the promises of God. Things that are revealed in Scripture that says to us, you can count on him. He is faithful. He keeps His promises. He is a promise-keeping God. But in addition to that and in balance of that which is many times not even really brought to the surface too often and that is we we need to be aware not only of the promises that god gives but we need to be aware and take note of the warnings the warnings are significant and we need to take them to heart If we don't pay attention to the warnings and we only think about the promises, I think it's easy to get to a point where we're just, we as human beings become slack. And we think we're safe and secure, and we are just not really as diligent about saying, man, I need to be walking circumspectly. I, I need to be walking in a direct path in honor of my God. I want his blessing. I want his presence in my life and i need to walk in the in the light of that truth and i want to give ear to those warnings when god says don't i take that seriously when god says do this i go i need to do that because i don't want to fall under his judgment so as we're working through this text today we're going to see some of these warnings that surface in this passage in this passage of Scripture. I'm going to be referencing uh, several different uh, texts today from this text. As Pastor Chris pointed out, uh, Psalm 95 is one that is referenced here. uh, The last half of that. And we'll be going there. We're going to be looking at some passages in Exodus as well as Numbers. I would encourage you, if you can... Flip to them, flip to them. If you can scroll to them, scroll to them and follow along so that uh, you're kind of seeing what's happening and what's unfolding here. We're going to be going to different places other than just Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. What we are told about acknowledging that the failure to know and submit to God is disastrous We need to take the promises and warnings of Scripture to heart. We need to take the promises and warnings of Scripture to heart. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so the writer of Hebrews affirms the authority of Scripture when he's making this point, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he's going to quote from Psalm 95, he's saying, this is is from God. This quotation is from God. It is the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews affirms that authority of Scripture. Even at the beginning of this letter in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke to our fathers. The Old Testament passages come from God. They are given. God spoke these things out so that we hear, we understand, we know who God is from his word. In our current passage, when he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, you and I should take note. We should say, that's important. This is significant. He's quoting a psalm, and this psalm is a is from the songbook of God's people in the Old Testament. It's not just a, it was not just a book of poetry, although it certainly is that. This was, these were the, this was the songbook of the people of God. They sang these psalms, they were very familiar with them. And so this psalm that is referenced today is from that songbook. And what is affirmed in that through the Holy Spirit is that God inspires the Scripture that is referenced here. Scripture comes to God's people with God-given clarity and authority. This is communicated by the Apostle Paul. He makes this statement in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All Scripture. How much of Scripture? All Scripture is breathed out by God. Theonostos, it's breathed out, it's the breath of God. It's, in some translations rendered, it's inspired. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When Paul wrote that, when he says all scripture is breathed out by God, was there a New Testament? No, the New Testament had not been compiled yet. So when he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, what is he referring to? Well, the bigger part of your Bible, that Old Testament. This is a communication of who God is and how he works and how he functions with his people. And we should take that to heart. We should recognize that's beneficial for me, to know the Word of God, to know the Old Testament. The the New Testament's inspired by God, too. It's breathed out by God as well. But we need to have an appreciation for the entirety of this book. We need to know God from the beginning of it to the end of it. 2 Peter 1, verse 21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man... But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So scripture did not come about because men had this great idea. I think I'll address this issue. He's basically saying the Spirit God prompted these men to write these things. God was at work in this. He brought these things to bear. It's an amazing thing because it, it, it's not this just rote dictation that comes because the personalities of these individuals come through. But make no mistake... This is the very word of God. This wasn't produced by the will of man. This came by the will of God. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. And it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Man, this is what the Word of God is. This is how it works. Why would we not want to avail ourselves to the truths that are here? We need them. We need to understand them. We need to recognize how beneficial they are to our hearts and lives. As we try to live out our faith on this earth. It's not just, we're not left to our own. We've been given an incredible book. And, you know, Muslims describe Christians as people of the book. It's an interesting description, isn't it? The the Muslim would describe us as that? People of the book. Why do you think they would say that? Because the, the Bible... It's such an important part of our existence. It guides us, it directs us, and we're devoted to this book, and we should be. We absolutely should be people of the book, because it's the Word of God to us. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to give an affirmation to Islam, not my point. I'm just saying when they're describing Christians, it's incredible. Would somebody describe you as a person of the book? Would they say, man, this is what guides their path. This is, they're always trying to bring their self in line with what the Word of God says. This needs to be something in our heart. We understand that God's Word is important. It says, therefore, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, the word therefore... the writer of hebrews connects this passage back to the preceding verse in verse 6 and if we go back and we read that one it says but christ is faithful over god's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope here the point just made was that if believers are shown to, that is that believers are shown to be part of the house or temple that Jesus established as the son of God by persevering in the faith boasting in the hope of Christ how do we know that we're really in the faith because we persevere we we maintain that confidence that we had at the beginning and we hold it firm to the end that doesn't mean that we don't have some struggles it doesn't mean that we don't have some difficulties but it means by and large looking at our lives we persevere We hold fast because we're held fast by God's grace. We stick by the stuff because God enables us to stick by the stuff. We're firm and planted in that. We are going to maintain our devotion to, to God because Christ enables that in us. When you're facing difficulty, you're facing challenges... You don't want to look within. You want to look to the God who empowers you and equips you to make it steadfastly through these things. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to these folks. Guys, you got to stick by the stuff. That's what characterizes God's people. And I say to you as a pastor, looking at this congregation, this is how we know we we are in. Because we stick by the stuff. We don't just say oh i'm out i can't handle this anymore and i don't necessarily mean that physically though that could be the case but many times mentally we're just like i'm out no see we got to hang in there therefore as the holy spirit says what's going to happen now is the writer of hebrews is going to give some scriptural examples of what it looks like not to persevere He's just presented some evidence. God's people persevere. Now he's going to give some examples of what it's like not to persevere. He says, last part of verse 7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. This, the quotation that has begun here is taken from Psalm 95. As Chris read from that psalm earlier in the time of worship and song, this psalm presents our great God and King who is the creator, sustainer, and giver of all the people of his pastures. He gives us what we need. Anything that's needed, he provides. Psalm 95, one through the first part of verse seven. The second part of the psalm gives warning to the Israelites. And it gives, this psalm gives warning to the Israelites at the time of David. From two events associated with the exodus of Israel... Egypt and their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. (coughs) So the psalmist is writing this song to the people of David's day, and they're going to sing this song. And as they sing this song, they're going to reflect back on things that happened in the Exodus when God brought his people out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness to prepare them to go into the promised land. Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11, reading from this Old Testament song. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. The word Meribah comes, is the Hebrew word that indicates quarreling. Quarreling. As at quarreling, as on the day at Massa, this is the word for testing, as on on the day at testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. What is that rest? The promised land. They will not enter the promised land. That is his direct statement to the people. So this portion of the lyric of this psalm refers to two different events. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, is the first event that is referenced here. And setting the context of this, preparing to look at Exodus 17, 1 through 7, it's important for us to remember that God has just provided manna. He has just provided manna. What what is manna? What is it? That's the... Technical definition of what manna means in Hebrew. What is it? Because they came out and they saw this film over the ground. God had, because they were hungry, God provided manna, this film that covered the ground, and the people would go out and they would gather it up each day so that they could have food, they could eat. Would you just say that maybe that's kind of an amazing thing? incredible thing that God would do. And he provided that for them daily throughout their time in the wilderness. And when they entered the promised land, it stopped. No more manna. But that's a pretty incredible thing. God had just provided manna. But as they moved into the wilderness, the people and the livestock became thirsty. And God supplies water after Moses struck the rock. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand, the staff with which you struck the Nile and go behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water shall come out of it. And the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place, Masa, testing, test, and Meribah, quarreling. Because of the quarreling of the people and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The word rebellion or quarreling, Meribah. Actions flowing from bitter irritation and anger spoke, spoken to Moses as the representative of God. This is what this was. They are upset. They are bothered and they are in rebellion and they are quarreling with what's going on. They're quarreling with Moses. Stirred up by this bitter agitation. Why isn't, why are we out here? We are thirsty. We're thirsty. Our families are thirsty. Our children are thirsty. Our livestock is thirsty. Testing. Masa. They are thinking that they can subject God to their examination and find him wanting. Is the Lord with us or not? Is he here? Is he really here? Think of this, folks. What, is, what have they just seen? They prayed for deliverance from Egypt, didn't they? Did God deliver them? The 10 plagues that come against the Egyptian gods. God puts his power on display. All those things manifest and he protects his people. And then he leads them out of Egypt. And they plunder the people. They're given all of the, these... It's gold and jewels from the people that say, here, take this, go. What what would it have been like to pass through two sides of a Red Sea split in two and go on dry ground? What what would your thoughts be? Would you be going, well, this is normal? (laughs) I think not. I, don't, I mean, it's just incredible. They go through this seabed dry. God provided this way. And then he closes it up after they're out, and Pharaoh and his army is in there. And God destroys the army of Pharaoh. Nothing short of amazing. Nothing short of Amazing. They go out to the desert and they're hungry and God provides this manna. And they ask this question, is God among us or not? We're thirsty. We're thirsty. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that the people were thirsty? I guarantee you they were thirsty. They were probably parched. Their family members were parched. Is God a providing God? Yes, He is. Why are they thirsty? Why are they thirsty? Well, you know, God should always make whatever we need available whenever we need it, as we want it, because if I got a little thirst here, and if I'm really parched, I need Him. I mean, come on. We can look at the children of Israel and we can find so much fault with them. But folks, we are so guilty of the very same kinds of things. God doesn't provide what we think we ought to have in the time we think we ought to have it. And we can start complaining and bickering. And a lot of times we don't really voice our statements to God, although sometimes we do. We take issue with what God is doing and who he's doing it with they quarrel with Moses as God's representative they're genuinely thirsty their children are thirsty their livestock is thirsty would you say that their trust in God's care wavered when the hardships came is that a fair statement Is it a fair statement? Their trust in God wavered when the hardships came. How many times is that true of us? How many times? And when this happened, he goes, we're going to call this place Massa Meribah. We're going to name this because you tested God. You examined him, and you put him in your scales, and you found him wanting. You, you complain, and you take issue with him, and you, you grumble and complain about what he is, and so you quarrel about this. Meribah. <laughs> Let's just stop here for a second. Drive this home to where we are right now. How many locations in your life could be given names according to your sins? Well, there we go. There's Pride Lane. How about Lust Avenue? Oh, I remember that. Lust Avenue. Wow. Yeah. What about Discontent Road? What about Gossip Circle? You remember being a Gossip Circle? What about Anxiety Avenue? We could go on, couldn't we? The list could be pretty long. God marks our sins, folks. He gave names to these things because He's trying to drive home, you don't have any right to put me to the test. You have no right to question me. You have no right to quarrel with me. Maraba. Masa. So easy to get in the flesh. So easy to put God to the test. Let's look at another passage. The second passage that is referenced here. Numbers chapter 14 verses 21 through 35. Following Israel's refusal to enter the land They again examine or put God to the test, finding him wanting in their eyes. God God said, send in the spies, spy out the land. Twelve spies, one from every tribe. Go in, spy out the land. And after you go out and spy out the land then come back, and we'll, we'll prepare to march in. They go out and they spy out the land. They said, you will certainly find that it is the land flowing with milk and honey. They come back and they said, It indeed is as God said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And they bring these examples of the fruit of the, that land. They bring it with them. They've got a, a cluster of grapes that's so big they've got to carry it on a, a you know, staff between two men. It's just like productive. It's like, wow, here's the land. This is what the land offers. But, right? There are people in the land. And I, we're not thinking they're going to welcome us. God wants us to go into this land, but there's going to be opposition and difficulty. How much opposition difficulty? Well, by the way, people, you need to understand there's giants in the land, huge people. <laughs> we, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes this is the attitude so they begin to say okay we're not going in caleb joshua they were also representatives and going in and spying out the land oh, don't do this caleb says to the people no we can do this god has been with us hasn't he he's shown us they, there's no reason for us to waver god has promised we can go how would you feel with giants before you, well-fortified cities. It looks impossible because it is impossible. Can't we be honest? How is this going to happen? It will only be by the hand of God. But they have no reason to think that God's with them, do they? folks this comes home in so many ways for us god has been so faithful he's taken care of us so many times in so many diverse ways numbers 14 verses 21 through 35 but truly as i live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the lord none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs that i did in egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do. What is he referring to? If you're following along in this passage, go back to verse 2 of chapter 14. Would that we what? Would that we what? Died. Died in the wilderness. Would that we died in the wilderness? What they said. I'll do. May I say to you, be careful what you say. When the pressure's on. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. When you're going through hardship and trial. God will hold you to your words. You can go back to Psalm 73. That's the... The psalmist is describing the pressure that he's under and all the t- afflictions that are coming and all the difficulties and how he's trying to understand this. And he was working through this in his own heart. How did the evil prosper and the righteous suffer? All oh, it just seems like this is so crazy. And what does he say in that psalm? If I had spoken thus, I would have betrayed your people. We struggle. We battle. We find ourselves at times having a hard time figuring out what's going on. But you better be careful what you say because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We need to work through it. We need to work through it by an honoring God-sought way figuring this out. Verse 29, your deed your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land that I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spent in the land, 40 days a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity for 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who gathered against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. Wow. Amazing. Well, let me ask you. Were not the enemies and the hardships and the challenges undeniable that were before them? Fortified cities, giants in the land. My goodness, what are we going to do? But rebelling and putting God to the test is totally unacceptable. (coughs) What we need to take from this is this. God takes note of every word of grumbling. May I also say to you, grunt, contending with the Lord never goes well. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's righteous, and you're not. Be careful as your heart is processing things and as your heart is trying to bring resolve and as you're working through these things, you're working out your faith with fear and trembling and you're trying to process the knowledge of God in that way and you're putting that into your heart, your heart needs to be submissive to Almighty God. You need to honor and reverence your God. There's lots that we don't understand. There's lots of pain that we will experience. There is much in the way of affliction that comes our way. But we have no right to grumble against our God. He said, but it hurts. I'm uncomfortable. This is painful. This is destructive. Let God be God. Let God be God. The Lord knows what's happening, folks. He knows everything you're going through, and he has a plan for it. He has a plan for it. And our responsibility is to take the knowledge of God and get in line with that. Get in line with that. The writer of Hebrews shows the abiding authority of Scripture by applying it to ethnic Jewish Christians of his day. Today, if you hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice. And I think by application we can say that the Word of God has abiding authority for us as well. Today, if you hear His voice. I think there are times when we're confronted with biblical truth and the reality of who God is. And we better stop. And we better repent. And confess our sin as it really is before God. And turn from that and walk forward in faith with God and say, God, I'll trust you. Remember that statement of Job, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him, I'll serve him. Verses 10 through 11, provoking God with faithless grumbling and ingratitude is costly. Verse 10, therefore I was provoked with that generation. The people of God in the exodus and in the wilderness wanderings griped and complained incessantly, provoking God by not appreciating their deliverance from the Egyptian bondage and all the various ways in which he displayed his goodness and kindness to them. We too have been delivered from a bondage and we've been blessed with the presence of God. Jesus has satisfied the demands of God for justice and he has given us a declaration of righteousness that we have over our lives because we've trusted the work of Jesus Christ. He has set us free from the bondage of our sin and Satan. Our journey of progressive sanctification is filled with refining challenges and loving provisions of God's grace and truth. The Lord is faithful to help us advance the gospel, of the kingdom faithfully as we, the people of God, journey toward eternity. One day, the, that true promised land will be ours. Eternally, it rests with God. Though we are not ethnic Jews, the work of Jesus unites us as the people of God with a scriptural history. That history is our history. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through th- 13. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, In Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were strangers to the covenants and promises. Now we've been brought near. Because we are no longer strangers to the covenants and promises, we need to listen to the warnings as well. Romans 15, these things were written down as examples for us. (laughs) We need to take warning from these things. We're in the wilderness of life on our way to the promised land of eternity. This brings many fires of refinement. Perseverance without grumbling and complaining is necessary. Stop acting like a pouting child. Grow up, take God at His word. Get serious about following Jesus. That's what we're called to do. We have no reason to be sitting around sulking like, it's just not going well for me. Good grief. You have been blessed immensely. Be thankful. He said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. What the writer of Hebrews recounts warns us as the people of God about complaining and straying. What does this mean? This means hearts must be kept in check. You and I got to keep our hearts in check. How? By knowing the ways of God as recorded in the word of God. What does he say? Their hearts are always going to stray. Why? They have not known my ways. We need to be familiar with the character of God and the demands of God in Scripture. And we need to learn the ways of God from knowing both the Old and New Testament. Grumbling is not a good thing. Would you agree? If we take anything out of this passage, I think we'd have to say grumbling's not good. Complaining, not a good thing. And they're not given any quarter in the New Testament either. Why? Because grumbling reveals what? An ungrateful heart. People in this world, outside of God's grace, grumble against God constantly. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says, For although they knew God, and they all do know God. You say, well, there are atheists out there. Oh, they know God. They deny Him, and they push down the knowledge of Him. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, they don't honor God or give thanks to him. Paul warns the church in Philippi about grumbling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many things are we to do? without grumbling or disputing all things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about most things. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. we back to the quote from the psalm, verse 11. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. When the people of God fail to obey God with a glad and sincere heart, it reveals that they're not right with God. And eternal peace with God does not exist. And when I say the people of God, I mean those who lay claim to that verbally. Those who are identifying with the people of God not everyone who claims that possesses that how do you know well because they don't obey god with a glad and sincere heart that's not the consistent way i don't think such a warning should be taken lightly i don't think any of us should take it lightly would you not agree that we've experienced incredible grace and delivering power by god hasn't he done amazing things for us has saved wretches like you and me. What do you and I deserve? Hell forever. You said, Do you really believe that? Absolutely. What else can I believe if I believe this is true? I'm really glad I don't get what I deserve. We've experienced incredible, amazing grace. What do we need to do? We need to listen. We need to learn, and we need to abide. People of God, know your God. Not to do so is disastrous. Not to do so is disastrous. Trust Him. Abide in Him. He is faithful. I'm not trying to say deny the reality of the pain and the suffering and the difficulty and the afflictions. That's ridiculous. But you got to understand that God is in control and what you're going through and what you're experiencing is intentional by God's design. Submit to him. Trust him. Fall in line. Learn. Listen. Abide. That's what God's called us to. He's not asking for approval. He's asking for obedience. That's what we're called to do. So questions to consider, what does it mean to you to know? that all of Scripture comes with the authority of Almighty God. All of Scripture comes with the authority of Almighty God. And from the passages referenced in this passage, what does it look like not to persevere in the faith? What should you do about the genuine hardships and afflictions that you and your family face in life? I would at least hope you would understand that I'm not trying to tell you to deny them because they're real. What do you do with them? Why is a thorough knowledge of God's character and ways revealed in the Scripture supposed to be important to you? And why do we need to take both the promises and the warnings of Scripture to heart? Brothers and sisters, I'm I think God wants us to walk in obedience. I think he wants us to take heart. I think he wants us to recognize we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and that ought to be wonderful to us. That's why Paul can say to the church at Philippi, who is suffering intensely, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made unto God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let us find ourselves submitted to Him. God bless us, your people. Help us. It's, It's easy to grumble. It's easy to complain, God. Forgive us, cleanse us, and give us spirits of repentance and move us in a way that honors you and abides firmly, submissively under your control. We need you, and we need you to inspire the love that you have for us to love you as we should. Help us, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.